You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. teaching text this morning is taken from Genesis 16, verse 7 through 13. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to shore. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord, God, who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, family. You look really well rested today. Did you have an extra hour of sleep or something? Wow. Don't worry, I had to. Okay, my my clock changed too. So before we dive into our teaching text today, unpack a little bit of this. I have two very simple disclaimers. I don't really like disclaimers, but I think it's actually really important and helpful in this text. First one is that similarly to last week's text, I guess this passage kind of elicits more questions than answers. Um, And it's fair that we can say thank you, Patrick, again, for like giving me this one. Um, But I just want you to think about that and honestly, wholeheartedly bring all those in. Uh, What we find out as we approach text like this is that God doesn't shy away from any of the confusion and questions that might come up with texts like this, even anger. So it's all right. He's ready for it. Second disclaimer is that anytime we're reading something like this, specifically from the Old Testament too, we have to remember that we are honestly so far removed from the ancient Near East culture, language, background, you name it. So it's actually important to acknowledge this because there can be social dynamics, relationships, and language, and all that, that can cause more confusion if we bring our own definitions of, you know, kind of few hundred years definitions of some things into the text. So I know, and this is natural, as human beings, we want to make sense of things, but there's always context. So it's one thing to always keep in mind. But it's important not to swing the pendulum to the other side and be like, wow, but we're so far removed from that context. Like, what could this text possibly mean to me or to us today has nothing to offer and that's foolishness on the on that side so it's much the contrary because honestly we live in such a beautiful moment in history as well because we have kind of pretty good scope of like okay god you did this and you're going there so we can kind of see an arch of that narrative uh so we should approach texts like this through the lens of jesus always as we read through our scriptures right Uh, who is the one who reveals the Father to us. And the richness of these texts just honestly come to life, revealing much more of God's character and nature, transforming us from inside out through his Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. So that was a disclaimer and a a prayer kind of intertwined there. Just anyways. But we're in this teaching series called Hello, I Am, where we are exploring different names of God through the Bible, some that he has given to himself, And some that, like today, were spoken of him or given to him. And I hope you catch this. This is what really, really fascinates me that I love. Is that the more I think about the depthness of God, and no matter how many names we have to describe him, no matter how how all those names are true of his character and nature, we just 
we just never get to the bottom of it because there's just too much of God. And to be honest, I don't think we can handle the fullness of God in many ways. But the point being is that there is a robust common knowledge of God revealed through communion uh, and community and confirmed in community. But there's also beautiful nuances, different angles of him and his character that gets revealed through our individual journeys with him. And this is one of this today, too, that the reality is that we need to tell each other these stories because I need you in order to learn more about what God is like. And you need me in order to learn more about what God is like. Naturally, he's so relational. I love it. It's so beautiful. Anyway, so you ready for this? Let's dive into our teaching text today. Let me catch you up to the story that we read. A little bit of context. So there's this couple, Abraham and Sarai, which later changed their names to Abraham and Sarah. But in this point in time, they're Abraham and Sarai. So Gemma talked about a little bit last week about Abram's faith, right, and his journey with God. And he also said, Abram given the name of God, uh, Jireh, Jireh, sorry, which means God who provides. Uh, and Abram is known throughout scriptures throughout his, for his incredible faith. Uh, but his faith wasn't perfect by any means, right? At an old age, old age God had promised them to give a son. Uh, you make them into a great nation. Uh, and you bless them, and through them, all the nations of the world, the peoples of the world would be blessed. And they were a little bit doubtful at times. And the point in the text that we get to is that it had been like about 10 years of that promise of God. And they're like, you know what? It's not really happening. God, come on. We're a little old. Getting a little frustrated. And I believe that in the moment of frustration, or maybe despair, grappling from control, unwilling to wait on God. Kind of, we've all been there, right? Uh, so Sarah decides to tell his dear husband Abraham, like, hey, listen, sleep with my uh, Egyptian slave Hagar. She says, like, well, you know, since God had decided to keep me from having children, like, wow, so twisty. She's already twisting God's. He decided, so here, just go and sleep with my slave uh, Hagar. Actually, she never calls her by name, but anyways. Go and sleep with my Egyptian slave, and, you know, perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham says, yes. And guess what? It kind of worked. It kind of worked, you know, until it definitely didn't work. Uh, Hagar does become pregnant. And, of course, the tension between Hagar and Sarai just grows even more hostile. There's some jealousy thrown in the mix. There's some bitterness, some pointing of fingers between Sarai and Abraham. It's like, this was you, this was you. And Abraham's like, ah, you deal with her. Uh, Sarai, in our text, says that she started to mistreat Hagar. Uh, and it grew to such a point of hostility and abuse that Hagar just fled. She's like, I'm out of here. I can't deal with this. So now we're cut up. This is where we find Hagar in our teaching text. A slave who ran away pregnant with a child forced upon her body, who thought she was doing the right thing. I'm like following orders from my mistress and all that. And now we're caught up in the middle of this mess. I'm out. So there's two things that happens in this text today that I really want to draw your attention to. And both of them start with C. Not C. Not that <laughs> Apple, Jason, Momoa, teacher series. Sorry. I mean C. The both things that start with C, meaning to see. Maybe a bad joke. English is a second language, guys. Not my first thing. All right. Two things. Two very important things. God saw Hagar. And Hagar saw God. This is what we're unpacking today. So let's start with God saw Hagar. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. Pause right there. Before he ever spoke to her, he had to find her. Which implies that it didn't mean it was just an accidental. I bumped into Hagar in my little stroll in the desert. No, God was actually looking for her. He was actively looking for her. And he found her. So let that sink in for a second. It's just beautiful. And it only gets more beautiful. So the angel of the Lord found her and said to her, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? So God not only saw her, but he also called her by name. As in a way to say, I know you. And this is the first time, actually, in our teaching text and in the story that someone calls her by her name. I don't know if you catch this, but before, yeah, the narrator did it to, like, fill us in. 
But Abraham and Sarah never actually referred to her as for, by her first name. I was called like my slave girl, my slave, or whatever. God calls her by her name. She says, Hagar, I know you. I know your name. I know you more than you think I do. So much so that he adds, Hagar, slave of Sarai. Meaning, I know your context too. I know exactly also the one he were running from and what's her relationship to her. But God is gentle and loving and very approachable. So he asks questions, right? I love that. He says, where have you come from and where are you going? It's like beautifully invitation. God is like automatically disarming because questions do that. I love questions. And the beauty behind that is also that means that it shows that God wants to be known through those questions. So God also invites and creates space for Hagar to share her story. Now, there's nothing more beautiful and powerful than actually creating space for someone to voice out what they're going through, right? It helps you feel heard and feel seen, which is beautiful. That's why I always say the language, sorry, listening is the language of love. Hey. <laughs> Patrick loves quote me on that one. So then she, she says her stories, like, I'm running from my mistress. But then God has this one, most confusing statement ever. He looks at her and says, like, go back to your mistress and submit to her. I'm like, wait, wait, God, just one second. You just found her. She's in a safe place because you found her. She's all we're longing for. And now that she's with you, like, can't she just stay? Like, does he have to go back to that mess of a household? Like, you're a God who can't provide, right? Can't you provide for her here or anywhere else, like, away from Sarai? Like, obviously, the two shouldn't be together. Like, can't you do this here? Like, she can be away from hostility and mistreatments and threats and disdain. And the interesting thing is that the word used to describe the way Sarah White was treating, mistreating. Hagar is the same word later on described, to, to used to describe how the Egyptians were treating the Israelites. So you think about it, it was like oppression. It was literal abuse. So I'm like, God, I don't understand. Why don't you just keep them separate? So at a first glance, like our own ideas of fairness and righteousness and justice, we might just jump to conclusions and take sides. And while we can only see so much, we're like, I'm not God, you're not God. And this is where things kind of turn a little bit. Because God says that, but he also adds something. And he says to her, I will increase your descendants so much that you two, there will be two numbers to count. You are now pregnant and you give birth to a son. You name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery. It even sounds similar like the promise God gave to Abraham and Sarah. And what Ishmael means is so beautiful. Ishmael is actually the combination of two Hebrew words, El and Shema. El, which means God, and Shema, which means to listen. But it's not just listen like, oh, hey, your grandma calls you. No, it's like listen and act. It's like listen and obey. There's like a tension like if I'm listening, it's sinking in and I'm doing something about it. So think about this. God is like, I've heard you, and I'm acting on it. You're going to name your son Ishmael so you never forget who I am. Can you imagine Hagar right now? Like God not only had found her, saw her, but he also gave her a future and a hope and a dignity, dignity filling her up. It's like, oh, my God, this is like, whoa. Then you'd be like, yeah, Carlos, I know, that's, that's good stuff, bro. But what about that other section right there? Like right after that one that God tells about how this wild kid will be. Like, oh, my God, like he will be a wild donkey, which is also a very funny translation, by the way. <laughs> Leave that for you guys to research later. He'll be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. He'll live in hostility towards all his brothers. Like, oh, my God. This is kind of like a sneak peek into the future, okay? It's kind of like when you read the little synopsis of the next episode of your favorite series because, like, this is such a cliffhanger. Like, what are you talking about? So I'm not going to get into the details of this because too much to cover today, but I want you to know this. So many things happen in this trajectory, in this story, and I really want you to go back and read it because it's so beautiful. So many things like 
Hagar eventually finds herself yet again in a desert, hopeless, but now with a 14, 15-year-old Ishmael with her, just like, I'm ready to die. And God yet again finds her, restores her and her son, reminding him of the promise that he had made to her. Man, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Just go. I'm not going to spoil it for you guys. But here's the thing that we learn about this. With all these twists and turns and all these ups and downs, God's promises, he promises and he blesses Hagar and Ishmael too. Like he's faithful to his promises. He's faithful to his covenant with Abraham and Sarah, but he's also fair and and a just God and a provider for all, especially for those who have been pushed aside and mistreated. Gustavo Gutierrez is one of my favorite, favorite ones to read. Uh, he's a Dominican priest, and he always talks about the preferential love of God for the lowly and the abused, the poor and the marginalized, the ones who were pushed aside, stepped onto others. Yeah, God's heart is really close to them. Trust me. So I'll just pause for a second and think about it. What do we learn about God and his character through the story of Hagar? Why can we take stock so far? Just reading through those. We learned that God is a God who first and foremost is actively pursuing us. By contrast, I think of Psalm 139 when the psalmist is like, God, where can I go that you're not going to be there? Where can I flee from your face? And he's like, nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. And the more you read through, through the context of the story, it's so beautiful that Hagar is actually in the desert. Back in those days, back in those times in the ancient Near East, there was this understanding that gods were kind of like geographical. You know, God... Our God is the God of all things. Amen. But he's also said, like, to the Israelites, I'll be your God, you'll be my people. Other nations had gods, the Philistines, the Canaanites, the God of the Jebusites, all that stuff. And between nations, there was nothing else. It was just desert. So there was this understanding that, like, nothing and no one inhabits the deserts. That's like wilderness, not even the gods. So think about that. The fact that God went to the desert to find Hagar. Oh, man. So we learned that about God. We also learned that he's not abandoning us in the middle of our despair, our agony, and the end of our rope. No. He's a God who hears our cry for suffering and hears, he leans in. He learning, you know, when we learn the word Shema, it's not just like, yeah, I hear it. It's like, no, I'm hearing and I'm acting on it. Now, you can correctly expect that God is doing something about it when you cry out. We learn that he's a God who steps into our misery and our pain and walks alongside us. See, because for Hagar, it wasn't just like a promise that he was going to pluck out from there and like, okay, I'm going to end your pain right now. It's like a promise that he's in control and he is with her too. But he's a God that's not like sided with Abram and Sarah. He's like, no, I see all things. I see you and I know all things. He's the perfect definition of justice, compassion, mercy, and love. And that's how he approaches all things. He's El Roy. He's a God who sees and who knows. A God who is ahead, knows beyond what we can comprehend. So therefore, trust in him is like the only safe place. And we learn that God does take care of her because there's no way out in the desert. Like, she would probably die. And the reality is that there was a social structure needed to survive as well. So... Telling him to go back is not necessarily like, oh, you got to go back to it. It's like, I'm going back and I'm sending you. I'm with you. Like, I'm dealing with Abraham and Sarah too. God's like, listen, it's not just you. I'm dealing with them. I'm like a loving father reconciling his children. They're going to be like, yeah, I know. But she would still go back as a slave and there's a whole social dynamic. Like, like, I know. I'm not ignoring that either. But neither was her when she decided to obey God. Because now she gets to go back differently. She actually gets to go back with her dignity restored, knowing that she was seen by a God who knows her and loves her, regardless of the circumstances. So let's take stock. When was the last time you felt seen? Or how have you felt seen lately? Maybe too far to assume that you have felt seen. So have you felt seen lately? Or when was the last time you allowed yourself to be seen? 
let's be real, we're pretty good at hiding. It's a very beautiful and powerful thing to see and be seen. It's kind of like the subway moments that you're like in the car and then someone locks eyes and goes, oh, no, I don't want to look at you. It's like, <laughs> kind of weird. Why are you looking into my soul right now? I was actually thinking of having you guys look into each other's eyes for like 15 seconds and hope. I don't know. It's things that come to my mind. This would be cool. But I'd be too vulnerable. I'm not going to leave you guys too vulnerable. It's okay. I'm going to ask you for something more vulnerable later. It's fine. But much more rewarding, I promise you. But think about these things. Take stock of these things. All right. So second point. God saw Hagar, and Hagar saw God. A teaching text says, she gave him this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Listen, after all that happened, she could have been just silent or speechless. I'm like, oh, my God. But she names God. And this is the first time in the Bible that someone gets to name God. And she names him Elroy, the one who sees me. And it's powerful because the first person who names God is a slave girl, the lowest in society, gets the name the highest of all. He's like, yeah, you can name me. You see that relational capital growing there? so beautiful. God is so approachable. And she takes comfort in that. She takes comfort in knowing that she has a name to call upon God now. Not just any name. It's a name that is personal and connected to her story. Oh, man. And it's so beautiful. There's this uh, African theologian called John Mbiti, and he was studying different dialects in Africa and different tribes, and the meaning of their name for God. I was like, there's a long list. I just got like the five that I was like, this is amazing. So the, he was saying that the Ovenbuto tribe, their translation for the name of God is he who supplies the need of his creation. That's awesome. The Akan tribe calls God the shining one. I agree with that. The newer tribe God calls God uh, the one who walks with you. I'll get behind that one too. This is sweet. The Kiga tribe describes God as Bieko. I think I'm saying this right. Which means he who carried everyone on his back. Which is awesome. It's like, yeah, come on, God. Uh, the last one is my favorite. The Akamba tribe. This one comes with a sigh. The Akamba tribe says like, the translation for the name of God is like, uh, if it were not for your help, I would be dead by now. I guess. You can totally hear the stories behind the names. It's so beautiful. It's so personal. It's so connected to your story. And that's what she gets to do. It's like, you see me. Now I know who you are and I can call you by a name. It was a personal and informative encounter with the living God. So let's get very practical here. Because we have already established that God is a God who sees and knows us and knows all, right? Facts. That alone is transformative and comforting and dignifying and empowering and nurturing and all those things, you name it. Here's the question. How are we seeing God in one another? How has been seen by God has changed the way you see the world? Or did you really think that his gifts were for you alone? Because think about that. Think of the woman of the well that meets Jesus in an encounter of such a life-changing moment. She felt seen. Her dignity was restored. She was the one that going to the well at noon because nobody was around. And she was probably the mock of the town. And God sees her. Jesus sees her. Same thing. Like, I know you. I see you. And for her, it felt so good. It felt dignifying. It felt restoring. It felt freeing. So much so that so she runs away to the town. She's like, you've got to see this. You, you have no idea. I don't care what you think of me, but I, you need to talk to this guy. It's beautiful. So how has being seen by God changed the way you see and live in the world? I know I keep adding things to the questions because I just have so many questions in my head. <laughs> but how has it changed you? How has it changed the way you live? Because the point I'm trying to make here is to invite you to experience is that just like Ishmael, which was way back then, 
Like we know that we serve a God who is near to the brokenhearted, who is with us in the middle of our suffering, and he hears and acts on the matter. But so much more than they knew back then from Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and Moses, how much more do we know it now? In this side of history, how much more do we know it now because of Jesus? Like Jesus, who really literally is God, stepping into our pain and suffering and misery and saying, I see you. I'm here to act on it. Not only that, I'm here because I want you to see me. Have you thought about that? Emmanuel. And one of the many beautiful things about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that in that similar way, like all those questions bubbled up on me like when I was reading Hagar's story. Like growing up, my question was always saying like, wait, God, but wait, you are God. And why on earth, like you could have gone away with misery and pain and death and suffering in a world like this. Like why didn't you? Like why this way? Why this like such long way? And he says, because I'm El Roy. I'm the God who sees. I see you and I see all things far beyond than you can comprehend and understand. And I have a much better plan than you can comprehend and understand. But he says this, I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. Now that you've seen me, now that you've known me, now that you know that I've modeled my life for you, now that I call you my disciple, my friends, go and show what I'm like to the world. Love one another like I have loved you. Go and see others like I have seen you. Care for others like I have cared for you. And that's how the church was born. Like empowered by the Holy Spirit. We have been generations of generations since, like right after Jesus. Just a group of misfits with all different class, culture, ethnicity, gender, social, economic status, you name it. Bunch of people who have been just enveloped in the love of God. Living out in a way that shows off who he is like to the world. What he's like and what he's about. Generosity, compassion, justice, kindness, hospitality. You name it. It's like springs in the desert. If you keep reading through the story, both times that God finds Hagar in the desert, she was actually near a spring or near a well. She didn't see it. Maybe she didn't have eyes to see it. Sometimes we are in the desert, but we're too close for spring and we don't see it. I feel like it's kind of being so close to Jesus, roaming around him, but not actually wanting to lock eyes with him. Because we don't want to be seen. God opens our eyes every day to see others the same way he sees them. And we're called to practice this every single day in our relationships, in our workplace, in different environments. As we notice others in the subway, walking up down the street, whatever, that we walk on every single day. Extending a helping hand, calling each other to check in. Going out of your way to do something to someone. Just being present with someone who's going through a difficult time. All these things. All those many different examples. I've seen actually so many times in our community. And I'm really proud to practice the way of Jesus with you. It's been so sweet and special the way we've grown together. And today we have a really beautiful invitation to practice the way of Jesus and continue to grow as a family in all the ways of just described and more. And to join what God is doing in different parts of the world. Historically, we've been fairly a local church, loving our community, growing in our neighborhood, connected to our city. And we continue to grow in that, and that's a beautiful way. But as your pastor of worship and mission, I don't want us to lose sight of what God is doing in other places in the world. And one of the best ways I've known to foster these long-term relationships is finding people who have been doing this work for a long time in different places of the world. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of obvious. But today we have a very, very special invitation for us to practice the way of Jesus with World Vision. And especially in this place in Honduras, this community called Florida. Uh, and in case you're wondering, that's why we have some extra things in our space today. Uh, so I do want to invite our dear friend Bernie Anderson to the stage. Please give him a hand. <laughs> Bernie, Bernie is a dear friend from World Vision. Uh, he's going to share a little bit of his story, how he's been seen by God and others. How has it been transformative for him and allow him to see more of God and others around the world? And then, in response to that, we have a very beautiful invitation again to us as Oaks Church Brooklyn to join what God is doing in Honduras. Uh, 
and honestly, not only to restore and dignify the life of little ones, but also communities. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. I'll, I'll let Bernie take over. <laughs> but yes, go for it, Ruben. So good to be here, and um, I don't have a cool iPad. I have, this is Bernie's iPad right here, <laughs> going a little old school, but such, uh, just such a treat, such an honor uh, to be here and to share with you the Oaks Church, Church Brooklyn. I am just, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. Um, I am Bernie. My name is Bernie. I live in the Orlando, Florida area. I am the husband of Christina Anderson, my lovely wife of 27 years. Yeah, and um, 27 years. We have three young adult daughters and um, love them. Now get this, we named them Madison, Brooklyn, and Liberty. (laughs) My wife has a thing for New York apparently, so... um, But I love so much what um, Pastor Carlos shared. It's so beautiful. The way he just, um, he pulled this this imagery and this character of God out and how God relates to us. What I find really powerful about that story is that um, God sees us, right? And God then sends a message to Hagar. He sees Hagar. He sends a message to Hagar. And the message um, is pretty powerful, and that, that is, hey, I see you. I see you. I see what you're going through. I know what's going on with you, and I see, um, I see the struggle. I love the idea, too, that, that Carlos brought out, is that God found her. He found her, and he saw her, right? And that same God finds us, and he sees us. He pursues us, and he draws near. I I so love this idea of God uh, sending this message because it implies that God isn't simply interested in just observing your misery. (laughs) God will actually engage you in conversation and begin to talk to you, right? And begin to maybe open even a little glimmer of hope to your situation, I am convinced that God always speaks to us too, always sends messages to us around identity and purpose. I see you, I know who you are. I know very well who you are because of who I am, right? I'm the maker, I'm the creator, I know you. And then God speaks to us and he sends messages to us. He sees us as these people with purpose. Ah. Not only, you're not just here, I didn't just create you and give you an identity and a name, but I have something I want you to do, and through doing that, you are going to become even more my child and reflect my glory. And so I love that. I love that idea that God speaks to us and begins to lay into us this idea of identity and purpose. And uh, don't we kind of need that, y'all? We've had 18 to 20 months of kind of wondering, who on earth am I, and what on earth am I here to do? We've had this time sort of locked down and locked away, and it's been tough. Marriages have ended. We've walked through enormous senses of of loss and pain, bewilderment, uh, grief, grief, unbearable grief. There's been uh, loss of loved ones. There's been this chaos, this conflict, this tension all over the place. You want to escape like Hagar. Can I just run? Can I just get away? I think it was Southwest Airlines that used to say that. Want to get away? Yeah. (laughs) Sounds like Hagar. Yeah, God finds her. He sees her. He's the God who sees. He reminds her, I have a purpose for you. I have something for you. What I I see consistently from God, it's in this story, it's woven throughout this story, what I see consistently from God and throughout scripture is that God comes along and he says our purpose, our purpose, he wants to invite us into this purpose of being this, a bringer of hope, (laughs) a bringer of hope. I believe that God is always about the work of restoring broken circumstances and affirming inherent dignity. 
And he invites his church, he invites his people, he, he invites all those who identify with him and his kingdom. And he says, come and be a bringer of hope. So you should look at the other person, not stare at them, but just call them a bringer of hope, right? Bringer of hope. Look at the person next to you on your left or to your right. Carlos didn't make you do this, but I'm going to make you do it. Bringer of hope. He invites us to do the same thing when it comes to the most vulnerable people in the world, and that is just to see them. But perhaps more than that, not just to see, but to engage. Not just to see, not just to look, but to be with and to know, to know their names, to begin a relationship. Um, one of the ways, one of the most powerful ways that my wife and I have been able to do this uh, as I serve at World Vision and even prior to serving at World Vision is through um, child sponsorship. And um, we have three children that we sponsor. And uh, uh, we actually, we had four for a minute, then one child aged out. And so we're in the process of getting a new child. But we had three, we had four down to three, we'll have a new one, so we'll be, we'll be back up to four. I'm going to show you a picture of my, me with one of our sponsor children that I got to meet. This is Lumino, Lumino, spelled L-U-U-M-U-N-O. So I spell it Lumino. Uh, I'm not exactly sure that's the way I'm supposed to say it, but Lumino. This is a little boy. He's 15 now. He lives in Zambia. Uh, just a, an amazing little boy. Now, He's, um, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about him later, but I'll give you a little glimpse into his life. He loves to play soccer, and when he gets older, he has this vision in his life that he wants to be a teacher. And um, he's written to me before. It's kind of funny. We have staff in Zambia. World Vision operates in roughly 100 different countries, and we have staff, and 95% of that staff are indigenous to that country. So they are, they are there and 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 love their communities and live in their communities. And uh, so I have, because I work at World Vision, I have the, the privilege of knowing some of the staff that live there and engage with Lumino, all right? And they were there, and they sent a video back. We do, sometimes we, we get to have some time of videos uh, back and forth with some of the staff there. And my little, my sponsored child, he, um, he communicated to uh, one of the staff there at World Vision that I hadn't written to him. <laughs> he put me on blast with one of the staff there. And uh, truth is, my, my communication was in transit. It takes a while, y'all, all right? But this little boy um, was inviting me into conversation. He, he had seen me and he wanted more. God sees us wants more. God is not a surface God, is he? He's not a God who takes relationship lightly, on again, off again. No, that's not how God works. He's like interested in going deeper and wanting more. So I love telling people that story. He wanted to see more of me. So I sent him a whole bunch of pictures of me and my family. and We're in this relationship. But God is a God who invites his people to be bringers of hope. God calls us to be a part of restoring broken circumstances and affirming inherent dignity in all people. Just because Lubino has less doesn't mean that he is less. He's a beautiful image bearer of the God that we all serve. So God... Uh, so, friends, God calls us and compels us to restore broken circumstances, affirm inherent dignity of all the people in the world that we're connected to. And today, Oaks Church, Brooklyn, we are inviting you to partner with our brothers and sisters in a community in an area called Florida in Honduras, on the west side of Honduras to be specific. And so you can see, actually, a couple of uh, images on the screen of that. Today, I'm inviting you to take a very, very important step. And yes, it's, it's a little bit strange, right? It's one thing to kind of understand and, and know that I'm called and compelled into something. It's another massive step to begin to step into helping serve children and families and affirming inherent dignity and helping to restore broken circumstances. 
For the last 70 years, though, World Vision has partnered with churches, just like uh, this church, the Oaks. Uh, we've partnered with churches across the U.S. by connecting them to communities in need of transformation through the power of child sponsorship. I'm excited that we get to do that with you. Typically how we would go about this, though, at World Vision is that you would be able to go back out to um, maybe a, a corner of this room, of this space, and you would see uh, on string and clothespins, you'd see images, little packets of children with all their information on it, and you would get to walk up there, and you would get to choose. You would be in the place of control, right? You would get, you'd have the power. But over the last year or so, God has spoken to World Vision. God has sent a message. God sees us, he sees our work, and he speaks into us, and we heard God very clearly. And God said, how could, and God told us, you can be better bringers of hope if you could do something just slightly different. And it's really radically turned our world upside down. It's really reversed a lot of things in what we do at World Vision. And so today, I'm inviting you um, into this unique, special uh, opportunity and experience. God led us to ask this question when we talk about child sponsorship. What else could we do to affirm the inherent dignity of these beautiful image bearers of God like Lumino? From the very first step of that relationship, what if, what if the child actually got to choose and was empowered to choose you? Check out this video. I've seen it a ton of times. I still water to the eyes, right? So this Wednesday, this Wednesday in Honduras, there's going to be a powerful party thrown. And that party is going to bring together some of the most vulnerable children in that region. A party uh, this time where instead of continuing to wait to be chosen, these kids will be empowered to walk up and see you. I love that. I mean, I know these kids probably don't think about this, but there's got to be a certain swagger, <laughs> right? I am now empowered. And children who live in extreme poverty, uh, they don't get to make choices, right? They just sort of take everything as it comes. But this Wednesday in Honduras, they're going to walk into a room, and they're going to walk up, and they're going to see your faces, and they're going to be empowered to choose you. After they choose you, this is so, so beautiful, they'll be invited to sit down and then write you a letter. <laughs> a letter where they get to talk about why they chose you. <laughs> Those are magnificent to read. Absolutely magnificent. You look like my aunt. You look like my grandmother. I love your smile. Which, by the way, that's what Lumino, that's why Lumino chose me. What I didn't share with you is that I went to Zambia. My wife and I signed up to be chosen. I got to go to Zambia, and I was the, I was the first, the number one overall pick out of all the images that were in. I've, I'm telling you, you know, it was better than the NFL draft by far. I was, I still tell that story all the time because of that, but um, he said he chose me in the letter. He said he chose me because of my smile. But did you see his smile? Now, before the pandemic, our plan was to have Carlos hop on a plane tonight and go to Honduras and be there on Wednesday for this choosing party. It's so, so powerful. Um, but we, we can't do that. I mean, he was going to be able to hand deliver those photos. We can't do that. Uh, we haven't returned at World Vision to international travel yet. Um, but we did get to do something kind of fun this week. We reached out to our team in Honduras, and we got your staff, your team, um, to jump on a call with us. Uh, Pastor Patrick, Pastor Carlos, other folks on your staff, and that's what we look like. Yay! That's us talking to our team in Honduras, and um, it was so, so, so good and so beautiful. So um, that's kind of what we're inviting you into. That's the message I want to share with you, that God sees you, he knows who you are, he understands your identity and your purpose, and um, he's inviting you 
to kind of live out that purpose of helping to restore broken circumstances and also to affirm the inherent dignity of all of his children, regardless of where they are. So Pastor Patrick, come on up and share with me. so many invitations from the Lord today, and so now it's time to respond. You can go to stand. Um, Paul, in his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, he says this. He said, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself and not counting people's sins against them. And I think I just want to start there with our response because Maybe you're still kind of lingering on this idea of just being seen by God. And maybe that's something that seems foreign because of the things you've done or the things you've left undone, the things that have happened to you. And friends, I just want to give you an invitation to know today that we have a God who sees and sends ready not to pull you out. I don't want to fool you. He's not going to just snap his fingers. Like, he didn't take Hagar. I was like, you know what? Here's 40 acres. Like, here's some land. Let me set you up in this desert. Let's get you out of this situation. No, he sent her back, but he didn't send her back alone. So maybe for you, it's about accepting that today, that there's a God who sees you, and he's not going to snap his fingers and make that problem, that thing that's been weighing you down, that thing you can't get rid of. He's not going to get rid of it right away, but he is going to walk you through it. He's going to walk you into his plans and his purposes. And if that's you today, like, what does it look like to accept it? Well, I think it's just an acknowledgement with our mouth, a belief in our heart. And we're going to have people up here who be ready to, like, hear that acknowledgement, who be ready to stand ready to pray with you in and through those things. And so would you avail yourself to that? And then we have these prayer rugs. We have them every week. Obviously, like I say, there's nothing magical about them. They won't take you uh, above, uh, uh, you know, on a magic carpet ride. But they're just a place where we can do with our bodies what our hearts are doing. Because maybe you've been grasping to a sin to kind of save you, and it's not working, and you need to just come bow before the Lord of heaven and earth and say, you see me, and I'll choose your way. So would you take advantage of that? Paul's letter to Corinth doesn't start there. He says, God doesn't count people's sins against them. And he says, but then he's taken this wonderful ministry of reconciliation and he's given it to us. And he has made us his ambassadors. And that's what this chosen thing is about. I wanted you to hear like, gosh, if, if you want to take part in that, I hope you would see it not as the result of some, like, video that hits you or not because, like, of any, like, emotional appeal, but that you would see it as an invitation from God to be his ambassadors, pure and simple. And that's why you would choose to do it, because that'll keep you doing it, because eventually these emotions will fade. But we do have a chance we do have an opportunity, we do have an invitation. Maybe it's not for everybody, but it might be for you. And so how do you do that? Well, there's a place you can text. There's a number, 56170. You can text Oaks. If you're here in the room, you're literally going to take out your phone. If you're there at home, you're going to take out your phone. You're going to type that number, and you're going to type in Oaks. You're going to send it off, and it's going to send you through a couple of prompts. And part of that prompts will be like taking a picture. So you can, if you're at home, you can upload a selfie. If you're in the room, you're going to be able to go to the back after you register. If you're at home and want to come get your picture taken at the photo booth, we're going to be here till 2 o'clock. You can come do that. If you're a parent and you're like, gosh, I wish I could take a picture with my kid. Or you're going to go pick up your kid and you can bring them back and y'all can take a picture together. Maybe you decide as roommates in your house, we're going to like sponsor a kid together. So you and your roommates are going to all take a picture together and you're going to upload it. Regardless of how you do it, you would just take part in that. You'll text it. It'll guide you through. You'll have until 9 p.m. tonight to take advantage of that invitation. And then next week, we're going to have a whole back room full of envelopes. Uh, and hopefully, you know, maybe you're going to be the first round draft pick, first pick of the draft like Bernie, you know? 
But I think this is one of those drafts where even if you're the last pick, uh, it's a great thing to be chosen. So I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to invite you to move and respond. Come, receive prayer. Administer prayer to one another. We sing to God and give him praise and glory for the great things he has done. And then maybe you want to receive this invitation to take part in Chosen. To come alongside those who are needy in resources, but full in spirit. So let me pray for us, and I'm going to ask you to just move as the Lord is moving for you. Lord, do not be silent. Do not be quiet. Lord, I pray that you wouldn't whisper, that you would shout into the echoes of our heart, the chambers of our heart, Lord. That you would help us to perceive your invitations for us today. Whether that's to submit and to turn away from the sin that has ensnared us. Whether that's to leave the anxiety of the things that have burdened us and recognize that you are the God who sees us. Or maybe it's to act as your ambassadors on your behalf. Practicing your ministry of reconciliation because we know that you give us a gospel not just for our souls, but also of our bodies. Whatever it is, Lord, would you move and would you work in and through your people today, we pray. And we say all these things in the name of Jesus, in the name of God, Elroy, the one who sees.